morning. I'd like you to take your copy of God's Word and find Matthew 28, the last chapter of the first gospel. Matthew chapter 28, we'll be looking today at verses 18, 19, and 20 as we think about our mission is the Great Commission, or I could say it the other way, the Great Commission is our mission. I want to thank Kevin for the invitation to uh, fill in for him today. Uh, surely you know by now what a privilege it is for you to sit under his teaching Sunday by Sunday. He is a gifted Bible teacher, preacher, and he and Sophie make a fine team for college ministry. And it is a joy for me to serve on staff with them. Now, Pastor Brown will be preaching this morning, and I'll be preaching tonight on false doctrine from 2 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to be naming some names of some false teachers in our land today. Fifty-five years ago, I enrolled at Auburn as a freshman. It seems like just yesterday. But things have changed. I thought you might be interested to know that when I was a student at Auburn, we were on the quarter system. We had three quarters, actually four if you count summer term, and uh, tuition was $100 a quarter. And I lived in the men's dorm in Noble Hall, and uh, the dorm fee was $100 a quarter. So y'all are about 55 years too late because we got to go on the cheap. Some other things there you might not be too excited about. Uh, we had curfews back in those days. The, the male students did not have curfews. Uh, university figured if we can keep the girls in on time, then the boys will behave. And so, girls, you ready for this? If you were a freshman girl in 1966, you had to live on campus. And curfew Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday was 9.15. And on weekends, it was midnight. So Dean Catherine Cater and Dean James Floyd ran a pretty tight ship. Well, there was plenty of hanky-panky going on back in those days. And, uh, well, this will be a surprise to you. Back in those days, if you drank beer, which I did not, never have, don't ever intend to, but if you drank beer, you had two options. If you were white, you went out to the War Eagle Supper Club on South College. If you were African American, you went out Highway 14 to Shepherd's Purse. That was it. So it was going on then, just harder to find in those days. Well, that's a little historical uh, journey down my Auburn Trail. thought you might find that of some interest. But Kevin didn't ask me to talk about what life was like when I was a freshman here. He asked me to talk about missions. And he said, choose any text you want to choose. So I've chosen Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Let's look at it. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end 
on the age. You ask most Christians, what is a great missionary text? They're going to think, first of all, of Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. What we know as the Great Commission, it is the most familiar missionary passage. It is the most direct missionary passage, and it is the most concise missionary passage, but it is surely far from being the only passage that deals with missions. Now, the entire Bible is a missionary book, and every genre of Scripture has missionary text. For instance, in the Pentateuch, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, the Lord said to Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. All the peoples will be blessed through the descendants of Abram. We move from the Pentateuch to the wisdom literature. In Psalm 67, we read, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among, watch this, all the nations. May the peoples praise you. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. God raised up Abram to be the father of the Jewish nation and through whom the Messiah would come. Not just that Jewish people would be blessed by God, they are blessed by God, but they would be a, a channel of blessing to the nations. And in this 67th Psalm, we see uh, the, the phrase, all the nations and all the peoples repeated again and again. Then let's move to the prophetic literature, Isaiah 49, verse 6. God says, I will make you a light for the Gentiles. That's everybody that's non-Jewish. That's for the whole world. A light for the Gentiles so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Let's go to the Gospels, Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 7. This is what is written. Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to, watch this, all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Let's go to church history. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the last thing that Jesus spoke before his ascension. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth to the farthest reaches of planet earth this gospel of salvation is to be proclaimed let's go to the letters of the new testament in romans chapter 15 verse 20 paul said it has always been my ambition to watch this to preach the gospel where christ was not known so that i would not be building on someone else's foundation this is the heart of this great missionary apostle he wanted to preach christ where christ had never been proclaimed and then the apocalyptic literature, the book of the Revelation. Revelation chapter 7 verse 10 gives us a glimpse of what it's going to be like someday. And John writes, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Now watch this. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's Jesus. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands and they were praising the Lord. So from Genesis all the way through to the Revelation, there are a multitude of passages that teach us 
uh, our call to take the gospel to all the nations. So this morning, our mission is the Great Commission. Here's the big question that I want to answer today. What makes the Great Commission great? You ever thought about that? What is it about the Great Commission that makes it great? Why do we call it the Great Commission? You say, well, who first called it that? I don't know. I don't know if anybody knows who first called Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, but we do call it that. So I want to give you four reasons why I'm persuaded that the Great Commission is great. Reason number one, the person who gave us the Great Commission is great. The person who gave us the Great Commission is great. And that person is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. You look at Matthew 28, we read that Jesus said, go. This comes from the very lips of Jesus. He has given us this commission, and it's great because of the person who gave it. Now, Jesus is unique. Of all people who ever walked planet Earth, there's no one like Jesus. He is the incomparable Christ. He is unique in his eternality. Now, as far back in eternity past as you can go, there's God the Son. Equal with God the Father, God the Spirit. But in the fullness of time, God the Son took on human flesh. The Word became flesh and lived for a while among us. And so Jesus is unique in his eternality. He is unique in his miraculous conception and his birth. Uh, he was conceived as a man, as a babe, we might say a fetus, in the womb of a young teenage girl named Mary, a young Jewish girl, by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of God. And so he is the God-man. He had Mary, a human, for his mother. He had God for his father. He is the God-man. He is fully God and fully man. He is as much God as if he were not man, as much man as if he were not God. So this commission comes from the, from the heart and the mind and the voice of the God-man. But he is unique in his perfect life. Uh, the scripture tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as you and I have been tempted, with this exception. Not one time did Jesus ever yield to temptation. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He kept the law to, to the very letter of the law. But not only in his life, he is unique in his death by crucifixion. Now you may be saying, well, look, I had, uh, I had ancient history. There were thousands upon thousands of people crucified during the days of the Roman Empire, and that is certainly the case. But the death of Jesus on the cross is different from all those other crucifixions. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he was dying, not for some crime he committed. He was perfect, but he was dying as a substitute for the sins of the human race. And on that cross, the Lord Jesus Christ cried out and said, It is finished. Now, what do you mean by that? 
He, he, was, he wasn't saying, I'm finished. He was saying, the sin debt has been paid in full. I paid it. Only a perfect sacrifice, only the perfect Lamb of God could pay that sin debt. And Jesus paid that sin debt on the cross. So that on the cross, God the Father took all the sin of Adam's fallen race. That's all of us in this room and everybody who's ever lived. The first person, Adam, all the way down to the last person who'll ever be born. And all of that sin was placed on the sinless Son of God. And He paid in debt, that paid in full that sin debt. That all who trust in Him can be forgiven. That's why it is inconceivable for me to hear somebody say, well, you know, Jesus is one good way to know God, but there are other good ways. There are other good religions. Well, if there's more than one way, if there's more than Jesus dying on the cross, then God is an indescribably cruel to allow Jesus to endure what he endured on the cross if there's another way to be saved. There's only one way. So Jesus is unique in his eternality, in his conception and birth, in his perfect life, in his death by crucifixion. He's unique in his resurrection. Jesus raised people from the dead, but they died again. Jesus rose from the dead, and now he lives forever. He has ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He is exalted in heaven, and he is unique in that, and he is unique in the fact that someday he will come a second time. And when he came the first time, he came to suffer and bleed and die that we might be reconciled to God. But when Jesus comes the second time, he's not coming to die on the cross the second time. He's coming to judge lost and unrepentant sinners. There's nobody like Jesus. He's the God-man. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen God the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So the Great Commission is great because the person who has commissioned us is great. Look again in the text. Verse 18, then Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. We are to go with the message of salvation. Hudson Taylor opened up the interior of China in the middle part of the 19th century to the gospel. If you've not read a biography of Hudson Taylor, you ought to put that on your, your reading list. Hudson Taylor said of the Great Commission, it's not an option to be considered, it is a command to be obeyed. So, what makes the Great Commission great? The person who gave us the Great Commission is great. Let me give you a second reason why the Great Commission is great. Number two, the goal of the Great Commission is great, and what is the goal of the Great Commission? Pretty clear. Very precise. Make disciples. Look in verse 19. Therefore, go. And what do you do when you go? You make disciples. Now, this word, this phrase translated make disciples is in the imperative mood. That's, that simply means it's a command. Now, what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who acknowledges Jesus Christ is Lord. If you just raise your hand and ask Jesus in your heart or throw your stick on the fire at youth camp and sing Kumbaya, 
and have goosebumps up and down your spine, but you don't have a life change and, and you are not surrendered to Jesus as Lord of your life, you are not a disciple. A disciple is somebody who is submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And it begins with baptism. Look in verse 19. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. Ba baptism does not wash away our sins. Baptism is an outward symbol of an inward transformation. Now, I'm going to baptize a young child here in the next hour. And uh, uh, she's gone through my catechism class, and she's been interviewed by me, best I can ascertain. She's had a personal saving encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. We would never, ever knowingly baptize somebody who hasn't been uh, transformed by the power of the gospel. So you don't just baptize to get your sins washed away. This young girl's not getting her sins washed away. Jesus has already taken away her sins. She's being baptized as a public testimony that she has died to the old life of sin. That's what, what you're symbolizing when you lay them down in the water. It's a, it's a liquid grave. And you bring them back up. That is a symbol that she's been raised to new, new life with Christ. So it begins there. You confess Christ, and you confess Him publicly by being baptized... And then, look again in the text, verse 19, Jesus says, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We, all, we are Trinitarians. And verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, sometimes I read uh, missiologists who say, uh, here's how you know uh, they're real disciples. They, they're baptized and you teach them. But you're not teaching them truth. You're teaching them to obey. Look at it again. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So it's not, we, we just teach Bible truth. We do teach Bible truth, but we teach them to obey Bible truth. So if, if, if you're not being obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't, you can't say, I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can call yourself a cultural Christian. You can call yourself a, a, an active church member if you want to. But if Jesus is not Lord, and if you're not obeying the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, then he is not your Lord then you can't call yourself a disciple of Jesus. Now, what does disciples do? Well, in its simplest form, disciples worship God. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will worship Him. John Piper said it best, missions exist because worship doesn't. I want to just repeat that for emphasis. Missions exist because worship doesn't. We, we go to the nations because true worship is not taking place in most of the earth. Oh, it's not that the people of the earth aren't incurably re religious. Most people in the world are very religious and in the province of God I've been in 50 plus countries I've traveled the world I've seen those devotees express their religious zeal and fervor as misguided as it is in Hindu temples and Buddhist pagodas and Muslim mosques and Sikh Wahatis I've seen them there their zeal for God misplaced, misguided, 
they put the average American Christian to shame in their zeal of, for worship of their false gods. What they need is Jesus. And we go with the gospel because they don't know Jesus. They've not heard the gospel. They've literally, literally over several billion don't even know the gospel. In spiritual darkness. And what this world needs is to hear a Savior has come. Who is Jesus Christ the Lord. This world needs, more than anything else, Jesus. Now, we're talking about the Great Commission. We say the Great Commission is our mission. Or our mission is the Great Commission. I'll tell you, I wanted you to, I wanted to give you four reasons why I believe the Great Commission is great. The third reason is the scope of the Great Commission is great. Now, look in... Uh, Again, in Matthew 18, look in verse 19. Here's the scope of the Great Commission. All nations. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. In the Greek New Testament, the phrase translated... All nations is panta ta ethne. Uh, that word ethne is the word from which we get our English word ethnic. Now, there, depending on who you talk to, about 200, give or take, above or beyond, political states, entities, countries, like Germany and Brazil and India and China, we typically speak of these as nations, but these countries have multiple nations. And as Jesus spoke it here, the Pantata Ethna, he's talking about people groups, tribes, same language, same culture. Um, for instance, I, one of my favorite places to go in the world is Kenya, East Africa. And there are 50 plus nations in Kenya. They call them tribes, but they're nations. I can't tell a Kipsugi uh, from a Luo, uh, from a Turkana, but they can. And most of them speak English, and most of them speak Swahili, and, and then they speak their mother tongue. Most everybody in Kenya is trilingual. Um, they're, they're distinct nations. They're distinct cultures and, and folk ways. They, they know, who, they know uh, what their tribe is. And some of those tribes in Kenya have been evangelized very, very well. But there's still some nations or tribes there that have very little gospel witness. Adoniram Judson was... Uh, missionary to Burma 200 years ago, opened up that country to the gospel. In my opinion, Adoniram Judson is the greatest man since the Apostle Paul. Some of you have read To the Golden Shore. I hope all of you will read it. It's the story of his life. 
best biography I've ever read. And I've read hundreds of biographies. Adoniram Judson said, how do Christians discharge this trust committed to them? They let three-fourths of the world sleep the sleep of death, ignorant of the simple truth that a Savior had died for them. Content if they can be useful in the little circle of their acquaintances, they quietly sit and see whole nations perish for the lack of knowledge. God, may it never be said of those of us in this room. Now, finally, number four, I want to answer the question of what's great about the Great Commission. The duration of the Great Commission is great. If you look in the last line in verse 20, Jesus said, Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So how long will we be about this Great Commission? We'll be about it until the end of the age. And then the end of the age will come. If you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn back about three or four pages to chapter 24 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 24 in verse 14, Jesus said, Matthew 24:14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. It's going to happen. And when it happens, then the end will come. So the question is not a matter of will it happen. The question is, will you and I be a part of it? Because if we won't be, God will find somebody that will do it. So this is my final challenge to you as your pastor because I'll no longer be your pastor in about six weeks. Go or sin. Everybody in this room has been called of God either to go as a missionary for a lifetime, like Bob and Pam Brownfield we heard from, and if you've not been called to go for a lifetime, you've been called to send those who've been called to go. I don't believe everybody's a missionary. I don't think that's wise to speak that way. I think it diminishes the strategic role of the person who goes to difficult places, crosses cultures, learns new languages, take the, takes the gospel to where the gospel has never gone. We're not all missionaries. But we all are to be great commissioned Christians, to be global Christians to have a passion to mobilize all the resources given to us to declare the Savior has come, who is Jesus Christ the Lord. So, some of you have been called to go for a lifetime, and you know this, and you're moving toward that, and we're trying to help you get there. Most of you are not going to be a career missionary, but here's my challenge for you. With very few exceptions, unless you have some health issues, or you're on a terrorist watch list and can't get a passport or a visa to get in the country. I don't think any of you are terrorists. You can go. You can go for a short time. And I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider when you graduate to give two years of your life after you graduate to go to the nation's. Just two years. You'll probably live to be 80 years. It'll just be a small fraction of your life. And go somewhere in Asia or Latin America or Africa or Europe or the islands of the sea and 
link arms with some career missionaries and serve them there for two years. A two of your number are doing that as we speak. Kaysen is in London with the International Mission Board. Catherine is on an island in the, in the Indian Ocean with the International Mission Board. They're not any better than you. Why shouldn't you go? Is your goal to come to Auburn just to get a degree so you can go start making a six-figure salary the month after you graduate? God help us if that's your goal in life. What a, what a low goal to, to live for when you can be living for the glory of King Jesus among the nations. You go and you might get called for a lifetime. You might not get called for a lifetime. You come back, you make all that money, and you send all, that, all those missionaries who need your support with all that money you're making. It's not just for you. It's to mobilize the gospel. You know, can't go for two years? Go for one year. Go for a semester. Take a semester off. Nobody graduates in four years anymore these days. All the guys go five semesters so they get that last year of football. We know that. That's been going on for decades around here. Just take a semester off and go somewhere. And at a very minimum, you can go for a summer. For a summer. We have our marching orders. Right here. Jesus said it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So I have a little project for you in your discussion today. Two questions on the board. Number one, list all the reasons why you cannot give a summer, a semester, a year, or two years after graduation to international missions. And number two, compare your reasons with Jesus' command to go and make disciples. <laughs>